1: It is a midweek edition of Birds 365, an important week at that, the last preseason game, and Eagles in the midst of dominating joint practices. They are the kings of the joint practice, and we'll be talking about that here on Birds 365 today. It's me, Jody McDonald, Jeff Kerr, my co-host, and my usual co-host, John McMullen, en route to Florham Park, New Jersey, where he spent the day yesterday, and he will be again today. J.K., how are you this morning?
2: Um, uh, probably better than Ben DiNucci was on Hard Knocks last night, but uh, I digress.
1: You haven't seen it? Gonna have to check it out. John McMullen, where are you at right now?
3: Uh, I'm at a hotel, so I'm getting ready to, to go the three or so miles I gotta go, which is a lot better than yesterday. Yesterday was a logistical nightmare. But so now we- that's, you learn, yeah, we get 1% better every day. Right, Nick
1: Sirianni? <laughs> <laughs> He's buying into that Nick Sirianni line of thinking. Uh, all right, so you stayed up, and the, the Eagles stayed up. Everybody stayed up. You made the trek up. I thought there were going to be people going up and back on the Jersey Turnpike. No, you wanted no
3: part of it, huh? Well, you can. It's just, uh, yeah, you know the New Jersey. You you know more than anybody about the New Jersey Well, Turnpike. I wanted, I wanted uh,
1: to share my angst with all you
3: guys. Yeah. I wanted you to go through what I went through for years yeah it's not it's it's not pleasant it's not a pleasant experience and jody you've been doing it for uh you know the pandemic probably helped you out man oh yeah uh going back and forth yeah that is a that is a brutal brutal trek i i I have a lot more respect for you uh today than yesterday and i had a ton of respect for you yesterday so think about that
1: It would be your first mistake from before yesterday and today <laughs> and tomorrow as well, if you're respecting me. All right, but should we respect the Philadelphia Eagles? Because according to you and a bunch of your cohorts that covered the Eagles on a day-in, day-out basis, they are the kings of the joint practices. Undefeated now, 3-0, and got the better of the Patriots twice last week and the Jets yesterday. Unfortunately, you're not going to be able to look that up under
3: the standings during the year, <laughs> are you, John? No, you're not. I get a kick out because I put that out there. The Eagles are 3 three zero in, in <laughs> joint practices, and people jump. You know, I, I said the same thing. You got you got the people. You you bring up fifty two to nothing in the last six quarters, and you bring up it took them eighty eight minutes to get uh, a third down conversion, uh, and they yell at you. It's preseason. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And then you say, hey, they would look really good in joint practices. And that matters. Uh, that that evidently is very, very big. So uh, it is what it is. Take it for what you want to take it as. Grain of salt. We don't know what Robert Snell is trying to accomplish. We follow the Philadelphia Eagles every day. But what I can tell you is the Eagles look better, significantly better than the Jets. Um from the defensive perspective, from their defensive perspective, they dominated uh, offensively. It was a little bit more even uh, against the jets defense, but you would have to give the Eagles the advantage, much less of an advantage. The defense though was, was tremendous.
2: John, I kind of wanted to piggyback off that uh, from a couple things I read. If this was an actual game, Zach Wilson probably would have been sacked about six or seven times. Can you confirm that?
3: Yeah, he was extremely, extremely uncomfortable. That's how I would describe it. They couldn't get anything going. It's Javon Hargrave had a great summer when he's been out there. He's back. That was his best day of the summer. He just wrecked everything the Jets were trying to do. I think it was Feeney, uh, Dan Feeney, Jody. If you want to, if you want to put the asterisk on somebody to worry about, <laughs> put it there. Uh, but everybody was great. Fletcher was great. Josh Sweat was back. Brandon Graham. That front was just um, smothering uh, like the heat. It was about 90, 95 out there. So, uh, yeah, they were good. And yeah, if, it were, if it were a regular season game, you know, again, you, you have adjustments. I assume the Jets would then go to max protection, things like that. But they were they were dominant up front.
1: Elijah Barrett-Tucker, I know, didn't practice at all. The Jets first round draft pick this year. And I know Mekhi Beckton left early. Um, he, They think he's got concussion issues, and that'll be firmed up today. Uh, did, How many actual snaps did he get in? Uh, I know the Eagles dominated defensively on the line, but the Jets were down probably their two most talented linemen. How much did Beckton play?
3: Yeah, that's part of that context. Yeah, Barrett-Tucker. Uh, then, left pretty early, so not a lot. By the way, he's one of the few people in the world that can rival uh, Jordan Mylata for size. He is massive. Um, and, yeah, he's, you're right. He's obviously a, a big part uh, of their plan and what they do. And that's why, you know, you got to be careful. you got to put all the context you can on these types of situations. But we can only see what we see. And from the players that were out there, uh the eagles uh had an easy time of it and i i will say from the jets perspective zach wilson the one thing that kid can throw the football man i mean he can he can sling it you could see it on one-on-ones uh he can get the football anywhere he needs to be anywhere he needs to get it so from from that
2: perspective that's certainly a
3: positive for the jets
2: Now, Chris Watkins did come back to practice yesterday after his injury. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, John? Yeah,
3: I I think he just got the wind knocked out of him. He made a a really nice catch where he high-pointed the football and came down on his back. I think a lot of people were scared because they saw what uh, happened to Tyree Jackson, uh, who did the same thing, came flat on his back and obviously had a small fracture in his back, and now he's out for two months. Um, so he left the field, but he was back really quickly. Um, and uh, he finished the session. So I, I think Quez is, is fine and uh, just a little bit of a scare.
1: J-Max, sticking with the wide receivers, uh, different guys, different reports. Travis Fogel made some plays, had a drop. Uh, how much is this make or break for him? Practice today, game on Friday, cuts next Tuesday. Is Fogum just playing for being the fifth wide receiver rather than the sixth wide receiver? Or is he actually playing for the sixth or the seventh if the seventh is a guy who's not going to make the team?
3: Yeah, I mean, I I, I think he's definitely out of the conversation uh, to be a starter. So he's kind of played his way out of a job. I mean, at the start of this, he was supposed to be one of the guys in 11 personnel. I think Quez Watkins has officially beaten him out for that. Uh, So then you start talking about if you're going to number him, Greg Ward, because of his veteran status, is probably number four. Uh, And he's fighting with J.J. Ortega-Whiteside and and John Hightower to make this football team. And you could tell the shift is they're trying to get these guys snaps on special teams and seeing from that perspective, okay, who can help us the most on special teams? It might not even be who's the best receiver. It might be who can help us the most on special teams. Because when you're deep on the roster, you got to help there. And then you say six, Jody. I think a lot of people say they're keeping six receivers. And they probably will. They probably will. But we have to see how how this coaching staff kind of lobbies Howie Roseman and the fact that no, they don't have a lot of good receivers they don't have a lot of depth here and maybe you you want to keep players at other positions rather than uh, a sixth receiver that you know is not going to help you all that much so I I would say yes he's fighting for a roster spot from where he started that's not a positive sign but yesterday was his best day in at least two weeks I will say that
2: John, I was just about to ask you, are they going to keep five or are they going to keep six? Well, I'll pivot a little bit here. If they only keep five, where do you think that extra roster spot will come?
3: Well, I think you have to look at the depth positions. So offensive line, you know, they might want to keep Brett Todd, for instance. He deserves to make this team um, or Toth. I always say Todd. But, um, you know, it, they have a lot of depth at the offensive line. You start piling up the numbers and saying, well, they can't cut Dillard if they don't trade him. Are they going to trade Matt Pryor? Um, you have uh, you have Nate Herbig. We know you have Jake Driscoll. Jack Driscoll, excuse me. Um, they have a lot of bodies on the offensive line, and I think they want to find a way to keep him. You also have to start talking about Jackson and what they feel uh, from that perspective. Are they going to carry him on the original 53 and then put him on injured reserve? or are they going to shut them down for the year at tight end? That's a decision they have to make. Um, linebacker, I think, shockingly, uh, is they seem to view that they have more depth than maybe the rest of us thought coming into this. And then corner. I, I You can never have enough corners in this league. You have to keep six corners in the modern NFL. You have to. And if you don't, you're playing with fodder
1: and uh i want to ask about the cornerback but first the linebacker position because uh we discussed this on monday and none of us put joe osman's name out there as one of the guys the eagles could consider cutting because we knew they had to cut one guy to get down to uh the required number of 80 and then next week it's all the way down to 53 it seems like Joe Osman's been here for about 10 years. Uh, it just, every single year he's there. Is he going to make it? He's got a shot. All right. Well, it looks like practice squad for Osman again. He gets cut yesterday, which was kind of harsh. I, I thought he played better than being cut at the 80 cutoff, but he does so with an injury designation, which means if no one claims him, which I'll bet that is the case. If somebody claims him, I'll have to eat crow, but I think he's going to get to waiver, So he reverts to the Eagles, and then they get a little bit longer to make a decision on him. It stinks that somebody had to go back down the turnpike yesterday, and it was Joe Osman because uh, he's not going to practice today. Kind of came out of left field for me, Johnny Mack. How about you?
3: Uh, no, because it, it was more, you're right. I mean, he's not one of those guys that deserved from a, a meritocracy standpoint to go at the 80 cut, but he, but he was, had a concussion, so he wasn't practicing. And it was one of those things when they made the original cut from 90 to 85, it was really about, you know, guys who couldn't give him reps at that particular time, more than the the Harry Criders of the world or, or the, that second phase, which were guys that you just know, weren't going to make the football team. Um, so part of it was he, he just, he didn't practice yesterday. wasn't going to practice today. Um, so you know, he, he, he wasn't able to give them those reps and they, they kind of knew he wasn't going to make the final 53. So they, they made the move a little bit earlier. Um, and, it, yeah, it's one of the difficult parts of the NFL. I mean, he's a guy who's helped. I mean, Jordan Mailata, you talk to Jordan Mailata, I, I mean, he calls him smoking Joe. Nobody has, even even Jeff Stoutman, hasn't contributed more to Jordan Mailata's development as a player than Joe Oseman. Um, You know, Jim Schwartz, even Mike Groh used to talk about Joe helping the offense get better. Just a great practice player, great practice squad player. And the sad thing, he was going to make this team in 2019. He was going to make the team. They were carving out a role for him. They were putting this joker role, stand-up rusher package in for him, and he tore his ACL at one of the open practices at uh, Lincoln Financial Field. And, you know, Joe, as a defensive man, he's very undersized, but he was tremendously quick. He used to give Jordan headaches and one-on-ones. Uh, just beat him like a drum with his quickness, um, and after that ACL, I don't think he was the same guy from that quickness standpoint. And if you don't stand out when you're that undersized, it's difficult and it's it's unfortunate. But yeah, that waived injured indicates basically the Eagles will he'll get through waivers as you said, Jody. He'll go on injury reserve. Then the Eagles will work out an in injury settlement and then he'll be free to uh, to sign anywhere after the injury settlement. The, the Eagles would have to wait six weeks if they want to bring him back at some point once the injury settlement ends.
2: John, I thought uh, John McGannan gave kind of a smart answer yesterday when you guys asked about Gennard Avery or what type of position he was. He goes, Sam linebacker. I'm like, hey, come on, John. He's not a Sam linebacker. Like, what is their role right now?
3: Well he is in this defense. I, I but yeah, what people think of a traditional Sam linebacker. I mean, you can see the people they rotated. That's where Joe Osman was playing. It was Janard Avery, it was Joe Osman, it was it was Patrick Johnson. It is Patrick Johnson. Um, these are all edge rushers, uh, basically, uh, in previous lives until the Eagles tried to shift. You know, I I can't help thinking that might be Ryan Kerrigan's role when he gets back, when he's healthy, uh, because he's played, you know, three, four outside linebacker a lot over the years. Um, So maybe that's the way they go. Uh, Otherwise, it's going to be Jannard Avery and Patrick Johnson. I would circle that as a potential headache. But but I, I think, you know, people forget that, you know, 4-3, is we always say, that's no longer a base defense in the NFL. That's the sub-package. So your Sam linebacker, in the case of the Eagles, is probably going to play 20-25% of the time. That's it. And the rest of it's going to be uh, nickel or extra defensive backs. Uh, that's just the way the NFL is going. So I don't think, number one, it's as important of a position. Um, and number two, I think Another outside curveball we might see is if they do value that position. Because if you look at Minnesota, Minnesota values that position. Uh, That's a big position in their defense. Uh, That's where Anthony Barr plays. Um, If if that's their feeling, then you probably start talking about T.J. Edwards playing weak side linebacker and Alex Singleton playing that position.
1: Uh, John, uh, you just said it now. You've said it before. Others have said it as well. Could very well be Ryan Kerrigan's position, which we all know Kerrigan, and you're right. He played outside linebacker in a 3-4. Playing it in a 4-3 is a little bit different. It's not the same exact thing, and I just didn't think fitted fit in it the way he was asked to play it in the couple of preseason games the Eagles have had so far. Why do we think Kerrigan can do it? He got hurt relatively quickly in... Camp this year. He's missed a whole bunch of practices. He missed the exhibition games. He just plug him in. He's not going to play tomorrow, uh, on Friday against the Jets, or at least I'm assuming that. If I'm making a mistake, please say so. Just week number one. All right, Ryan, you're up to speed, buddy. Go ahead. Give us some linebacker reps.
3: Yeah, well, he's one of those guys we've talked about a lot. I mean, he's played so much football. They don't think they need to see anything from Ryan Kerrigan. And, and no, you're right. I would be stunned if he plays uh, against the Jets. I would be stunned if anybody plays against the Jets other than the people that have to play because uh, you have to put out some kind of product. And we'll Nick Siriani's going to talk before practice today. I don't think he'll say anyway. But I I, I don't feel especially now that the Eagles have played well again in joint practice. I don't think you're going to see a lot of familiar names other than the fact you only got 80 guys. So some have to play, but Ryan Kerrigan is not in that category because, hey, he's not even healthy. He hasn't been back at practice. Uh, And even if he was, he wouldn't be one of those guys. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think it comes down to what I was kind of saying. If they value the position, if they want to make that a major position like it is in, in Minnesota where Gannon used to coach, then, yeah, it's going to be Ryan Kerrigan or it's going to be Alex Singleton. If they're not, if they're going to just use it as that 20 25% sub-package, then I think it's going to be Jannard Avery or Patrick Johnson. And I don't think in that case, the latter scenario – it's going to be all that important. I don't think it's going to be a big part of this defense. So it's kind of how, and, and the, the one thing they've been consistent about is they're not showing anything offensively or defensively. But I can tell you this, in practice, offensively, you see things you don't see in the games. You see a lot of RPOs. You see a lot of quarterback-driven uh, run plays that you don't see in the game. On the defensive side, you don't see an Anthony Barr-type presence in that defense. And not I'm not talking talent perspective. I'm talking use perspective. So I, I don't think it's going to be a huge part of, of Jonathan Gannett's plan.
2: John, do you feel Howie Roseman and this front office are putting an immense amount of pressure on Nick Sariani by not playing – these guys in preseason games because week one it's they better not come up how can I say flat the first half because this is a beatable Atlanta Falcons team
3: yeah I mean look it's an organizational decision take that as you will uh I think if we're up to Nick Sirianni the Eagles would be preparing more from both a practice and a preseason playing perspective um they've made a, a cost benefit analysis and I don't necessarily think it's crazy. Um, but I think you should expect some rustiness or hiccups or whatever you want to call it in, in week one and probably further early in the season. I think they're going to be playing themselves into uh, regular season um, sort of performance level. I, I, I just, don't know you can talk about all the mental reps you want Uh, it's it's not the same as live reps and again more than likely and they could change their mind but I I don't think they will more than likely the starting quarterback who's had uh, four career starts is going to hit week one with 10 preseason reps under his belt I I don't know. You see around the league. I mean, there are certain guys that are putting mothballs, uh, but you've seen Patrick Mahomes out there at times. You've seen uh, even Tom Brady out there in, in, in week one. Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I think the preparation part is more important, especially for a younger player, especially for a younger quarterback. I I, I say it all the time. And Jody knows with Fletcher Coxes and, Lane Johnson's friend, I don't care. Those guys, I don't care. that. That's fine. With young players who need to develop, they got to play in the preseason. And the Eagles, by the way, seem to know that at wide receiver. And they're taking a different tact at, at, at quarterback, which is the most important position. I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. They're treating their quarterback like he's a six-year veteran, which I just – don't understand.
1: All right. I want to go to a different position, though, with you, J-Mac. And that's running back. Um, they've used their running backs the way they have in the first two preseason games. We'll see about the third. We've seen them in joint practices. We believe that Miles Sanders is going to be the main guy. How much does the main guy get the ball? What's the percentage break code of touches in a game? Kenny Gainwell seems to uh, be improving his stead every single day. How is it going to be determined? Who is going to be determining it? How many touches these guys get? Is it purely a coaching staff thing? Is Howie Roseman at all going to be involved in this? Once the first game arrives, are the medical people going to be deciding who gets how many touches? How is running backs usage going to be decided week one against Atlanta?
3: No, I I don't. I'm not going to go that far. I think that's a coaching staff decision. And yeah, I mean, Miles Sanders is going to get the vast majority of touches. um, And obviously, that's going to be mainly running the football. They're going to try. I mean, Miles has talent as a receiver, and the fact that when he does catch it, he can create a lot of problems. So you also want to get his competence going from that perspective. You know, if he starts catching. A couple swing passes early, and he starts feeling it. You know, you want to build on that confidence and try to get him out of this sort of funk he's been in catching the football. Um, and, and but you know, Nick Sirianni and Jamal Singleton have been very honest uh, about that particular position, probably more than any other position. They've said from pretty early on, it's going to be a, a committee approach. For, for two reasons. They just think running backs get too banged up, the more touches you give them. And again, Miles Sanders, if not Derrick Henry, he, he's, not, he's not built for 30-plus touches. Uh, if, if you do that, he's going to get hurt. And then the second part is you got to take advantage of what guys do well. Uh, and Miles hasn't caught the football all that well uh recently dating back to last season not the best pass protector either so you start talking about third down backs and singleton said he's going to piecemeal it together so generally the coaching staff will lean on the position coach in this case it's the assistant head coach um to dole out the playing time but miles sanders is going to be the the to simplify it, the first and second down running back, and they're probably going to try to get Kenny Gainwell on the field as quickly as possible um, to be the third down running back. If he's not ready, it'll be Boston Scott, and, and Jordan Howard will be that sort of short yardage inside the tackles change of pace runner.
2: What do you see in Kenny Gainwell that can provide the explosiveness that the Eagles need in this offense?
3: Well, he, he catches the football naturally, and I know this offense wants to use sort of that. If you want to go back to Austin Eckler or uh, Naheem Hines, they want to they want to use that type of back who can catch the football not just out of the backfield, but you know, split them out. You're going to see five wide um, formations where you know one of those five wides is going to be the running back split out, um, and even Miles said. You know, the other day, I think it was Sunday, that Kenny has the most natural hands on the team. Um, so he caught the football a ton at Memphis the one year he was not M- Memphis, and he just seems to have a natural ability to do it. And I think the Eagles are envisioning him as that type of player who can be their movable piece. The question is, how quickly can you get him there? Again, we talk about rookies all the time. Now we're talking about rookies who aren't getting a ton of practice time, who aren't getting a ton of preseason reps. Now, Kenny played quite a bit. You know, He's more in the receiver category. He's not in the proven category, so he's playing. Um, but even we talk about the 70, 75-minute practices, I, I don't know. Is that enough preparation? We'll see. Well, they went 90 yesterday,
1: and you may be having to work 90 in the heat again today, John. Although it's not as warm out as it was yesterday, but you'll find that out when you get out of the hotel. Um, What are you hearing and or seeing with Rodney McLeod coming off the pup list? I know all... Season, all offseason, along with hey, he could be ready for week one. They're hoping that he's ready for week one. They're crossing their fingers that he's going to be ready for week one. Well, he hasn't come off the publish yet, which means we can't really determine where he's at. He's one of those veteran guys that they may have the good feel on, that they don't think they need to see a lot from him. What's the chance of Rodney McCloud being active and in the starting lineup week one against the Falcons?
3: Yeah, I mean, that was always his goal, so... <clears throat> I I never expected him to see him at training camp. I, you know, I think that's one of those things to keep an eye on. Um, Once the cut comes after the Jets game and you get down uh, to 53, you have uh, far more time than you usually do with the changes and the scale back. So I think it's 16 days uh, before week one, after the final preseason game. So I, I think it, it, you got to keep an eye on, is that when Rodney is activated, that's the indication that he's going to be ready. He's going to be close. They go into preparation mode. I mean, he's always out there. He's always working on the side field. Um, he looks fine. That's one of those injuries that takes nine months. He got hurt mid-December, and you can do the math. That would be mid-September. So it's right on the cusp Uh I don't think he's going to be on pop to start the season because he's not going to miss six weeks. The question is, can he be there week one or is it going to be week two, week three, week four early in the season? We're going to see Rodney relatively early in the season.
2: John, who's been the most disappointing player in this camp? Cause I'm assuming today might be the last time, like a bunch of media guys will actually be able to see the full majority of practice.
3: Yeah, it is. Uh, this is the last fully open practice of the year. Um, and then you shift back in the regular season mode where we get to see about 20, uh, 20, 25 minutes of individual drills and stretching. Um, that's a good question. Most disappointing. I, I say, well, who who played themselves out of a job? There's only one guy that I can think of. And that's, we talked about him before Travis Fulton. Um, so that to me has to make him the most disappointing. He started camp as the guy who they wanted to be that third receiver behind Devonte Smith and Jalen Rager. And he's not that guy anymore. Now he's fighting for a roster spot. So from that perspective, I'm trying to think on the defensive side of the ball that anybody was poster and no, so he he's gotta be the most uh disappointing.
1: Well it's funny enough I was gonna go there next anyway and Jeff just made it kind of easy for me. The only other guy I'd put in the mix, I think Folcom is the guy, would be Andre Dillard. And uh I know yeah, that uh, cool. I pimp you a lot about Andre because you were one of the last to move off the fact that <laughs> hey, he's a first too. round pick. They're gonna give him every chance. Well, he just got blatantly outplayed by Jordan Mayalata, and then he got hurt. Uh, but he was back on the field yesterday, John. So I still think there's a chance that they uh, release him. Maybe they go injured designation with him too, and then bring him back there after, but make him available to all teams. I know they get nothing in exchange for a first round pick a couple of weeks later, a couple of years later, but. He hasn't been one of their best 53 guys. If you're just judging by what they've showed in practice, uh, did he show you anything yesterday in his quasi triumphant return to the
3: Eagles lineup? Well, he, he certainly didn't stand out. I, I saw him get bull rushed at one point, which is a constant. That's kind of been the big problem, but I, there wasn't anything dramatically uh, terrible. Uh, I I I, look. I I don't think they're going to release him because they don't have to release him. Um, I think they'll be able to spin him off and trade him, and we'll see. Trades are picking up. Sonny Michelle got traded. Uh, As we cut down, we just we constantly talk about the offensive line issues around this league. It's not going to be anything great. Seventh round pick, conditional seventh round pick, something like that. Um. I, yeah, I just don't see that they would release him. Now the problem with that is, you know, the the old adage: you want to, what do you want to do? You want you want to buy low and sell high. You're selling at the lowest point possible, so you might want to stick him on the roster and try to rehabilitate him a little bit. It's it's a difficult decision. You're right; it's a good one, Jody. He probably doesn't deserve to make this team on a meritocracy. Brett Toth is a guy I mentioned as probably deserves to make this team. He's uh, had a better accounting. He's he's um, he's more versatile. They're cross-training him now. But we talk about pedigree all the time. You know how it works. They're just not
2: they're just not going to release him. They're not. I'm I'm very confident in that. John, you mentioned something Michelle, he got traded for a fifth and the sixth, which can eventually be a fourth if the Rams get that comp fourth round pick which it looks like they're going to so it looks like it's gonna be a fourth uh would that be a win for the eagles that they could somehow get a fourth for andre dillard
3: oh my god that would be yeah that would be parade worthy (laughs) at this point that's what i mean you're selling low you're selling at the lowest point possible so from that perspective it's not howie roseman type trade because That's what Howie's good at, creating leverage, creating desperation from the other side. The Michelle trade's a good example because the Rams think they're a contender. They need a running back. So they probably gave up more than they typically would for that type of player. Not that it's that much, but – and the Rams don't value draft picks probably less than anybody in the NFL uh, also. And by the way, people should take a look at that because the Rams have been pretty successful. Uh, building a team uh, with more of a a, a a tint on veteran players, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't see any way you can get that much for him at this point. All all you've seen written all summer, and people around the league pay attention is how bad he's been. It's just, it's just a really, really bad time to trade Tillard. So, uh, I don't know if there's ever going to be a good time. But if we do get to the point where he is released, uh, you know, I don't know if you guys saw uh, the athletics uh, uh, agent's questionnaire they did. (laughs) Howie's the least trustworthy GM. (laughs) Uh, Howie Roseman is not cutting a a 2019 first-round pick. Not at this stage. All right. We shall see. All right. Last thing, John,
1: and we'll let you run. Um, There was some good speculation over the last couple of days leading up to yesterday's practice that maybe the Eagles and the Jets could be trade partners. Yeah, most agents don't trust Howie Roseman, but does Joe Douglas trust Howie Roseman? See, as they worked hand in hand for years here in Philadelphia, the Jets certainly have a need for pass rushing with the fact that Lawson went down with the season ending, ending injury last week. Uh, any of the Jets... Uh, pass rushers. We know the Eagles look good and we're in Wilson's face all day yesterday. Did the Jets get any kind of pass rush or do they still look like a team that's desperate to get their hands on a pass rusher and will the conversations between the Eagles and the Jets continue?
3: Yeah, I didn't see much consistent pass rush. I did see uh, some flushing of Jalen Hurts, the big play the Quez Watkins he was flushing to his left where Quez got banged up. Um his worst play was flushing to the right where Nick Sirianni dropped an F bomb at him by the way. Uh, but I, I don't know if that's because we constantly talk to Nick about how he should be climbing the pocket and instead of flushing out, uh, and Nick agrees with that. So I don't know how much of that is just a young quarterback who, you know, it's sort of his DNA to get out of the pocket as quickly as possible. I didn't see a ton of pressure. Um, and remember, the Eagles' offensive line, which is also good, like that's the strength of their team, um, that's a tough group to get pressure on to begin with. Um, so, I, yeah, I definitely think the Jets could use some help. Uh, the question is, you know, yeah, Joe Douglas and Howie have a great relationship. They still have a great relationship. Um, do the Jets want to pay Derek Barnett $10 million? He could certainly help them. And then the the Eagles, uh, the the strength of their defense we just talked about is their defensive line. And while people can say Josh Sweat is going to be better, and I agree with that, part of the reason it's their strength is the depth as well. And the fact that they can rotate and they have so many good players. So you're affecting your team from a negative perspective, Um so it, it makes some sense from a need-for-need need standpoint, but I'm not sure it makes uh, uh, as much sense uh, from a, a monetary standpoint. Jay McNeil, you got to get the facilities.
1: Uh look forward to getting you back here tomorrow in the side chair next to me. Uh, thanks so much for hopping on today. Uh, stay covered up there on the sidelines. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. John McMullen, uh, usual co-host here on Bird Street 65, but Jeff Kerr doing yeoman's job coming in off the bench for him. Some more things I want to break down with Jeff when we come back. Lots yet to do. Hour number two, Matt Lombardo. Guy must, a lot of you guys, I'm sure, recognize, was in town for years covering the Eagles. He's doing uh, giant stuff and across the board in the NFL for fan side these days. Matt Lombardo will be our guest in hour number two, but when we come back, Jeff and I continue to break down the float up eagles here on birds 365.
2: I get scared sometimes
4: of a lot of things
2: joining in
4: decisions,
2: the dark, the dark, but I once heard someone say,
5: but as I always say,
2: it's okay to be afraid.
5: As long as you face the fear
6: and keep moving forward, wherever you are in life,
4: it's the door to a world most people only dream of there's strong and then there's army strong try it on at goarmy.com
1: wednesday edition of birds 365 here on the jacob media youtube channel Jeff Kerr in for John McMullen. I'm Jody McDonald. Uh, We still got an hour and change to talk up the Philadelphia Eagles with you here on what is show number 99. Tomorrow will be a little bit of a special one, our officially 100th show tomorrow here on Birds 365. So thank you for tuning in today and make sure you're here tomorrow as well. Uh, That will be one day closer to the Eagles versus the Jets in preseason action. Listening to Scott Graham and uh, our buddy Russ Tucker on the call, and somehow they'll come up with positives, even if the Eagles play like they have in their first two preseason games, which, of course, were both losses. They actually played well. I I need to be careful here. They played well in the first half against Pittsburgh, and that's certainly more important than playing well in the second half. If you're going to play well in one of the two halves, you'd rather it be the first when you have at least some of your starters in there. And they did. They got the better of the Steelers in the first half not the second half and not either of the two halves against the Patriots last week, but, uh, be, uh, looking forward to hearing Scotty and, uh, Russ Tucker on the call on Friday. The question is, will we hear any calls of Jalen hurts name? Uh, we just talked about it briefly with John. I want to go into it more depth with you, Jeff. The coach did not say that Jalen hurts is not going to play, but he intimated that if they get another good day of practice, like what he saw for the most part out of Jalen Hurts yesterday, coming back from the stomach issue that he had that kept him out of the Patriot game. Looks like he's 100% healthy. Cross your fingers going into uh, today's practice. That there's at least a chance that he's not going to play. Maybe even a good chance that he's not going to play against the Jets. 10 reps. 10. Count them. If he doesn't play, he will come into the season with 10 preseason reps. 10 preseason snaps. That's not a whole heck of a lot for a guy in his second year in the league who was the starter for four games at the end of the season. Do you think this is a coaching decision? Do you think it's an organizational decision? If they, and I uh, go, I'm speaking hypothetically here, because we don't know, maybe he, plays, maybe he plays a whole quarter, maybe he plays a quarter and a half. If he doesn't play Jeff, do you think this is purely a coaching decision?
2: I think it's a combination of both, but I have to agree with McMullen. If Nick Sariani were fully making the choice and no Howie Roseman in his ear or whoever in that front office, I would say Jalen Hurts with a playboard this preseason, and he might on Friday. You know, maybe Howie Roseman says to Nick Sariani "You know what? Let's play him as long as you want to play." So Nick Ceriani would probably go, "All right, you know, how about a quarter and a half? Yeah, that works. Okay." But I have a feeling that it's what you said, Jody. If he has good practice today, we may not see him Friday. And the Eagles may just say, okay, we'll see him in 16 days and we'll go from there. But 10 snaps, that's not a lot. And I know this is the trend now. And I don't know if I fully agree with this trend. I mean, even Tom Brady got snaps in the preseason. Now, Tom Brady's a lot different than Jalen Hurts. But I'm trying to look at Jalen Hurts like the rookie quarterbacks. Like Trevor Lawrence, for example. Zach Wilson's played a lot. Jordan loves played a lot when he was healthy this preseason. That's what I'm looking at right now. I'm looking at those guys, you know, the first, second year quarterbacks. That's how I'm listing Jalen Hurts in there. I'm grouping him with them. 10 snaps just isn't enough. And I know he had four games last year and he played well in two of his three full games he played. But I just feel like he needs to just get his feet wet a bit. You know, get his toes in the shallow end, so to speak. You'll have to play him much. But I think this wouldn't even be a topic if he would have... And I, again, last last week was a, a weird thing. If it was a regular season game, he would have played, he would have said that. But if he would have... Say he was healthy, if he would have played a quarter these last two games, I don't even think this would be a conversation right
1: now. Right. He would undoubtedly be sitting for the game. And here's why it makes it uh, something for debate. Second-guessable, if you will. They have two wide receivers. They're probably going to be starters now. We all believe that... Devonta Smith is going to be one of the starters, as he, as he should be. The other two that are the leading candidates right now, for varying reasons, are Rager and Watkins. They're both second-year players, much like the quarterback, who's a second-year player. Yet, how many reps are we seeing Watkins get? How many reps are we seeing Rager get? A lot more than 10, and I guarantee you both of those guys will be out there on Friday For at least a period of time. I don't think either one of them is going to be with their shoulder pads off on the sidelines. The wide receivers who have the same amount of time invested in the NFL are being called upon to show their wares in preseason, to give the coaching staff a chance to evaluate them, to get themselves up to speed. Yet they're being tremendously cautious with the quarterback. Is it just the position that, God, we can't risk a quarterback? Can you really see Joe Flacco starting 17 games if he breaks his leg on Friday against the jet defense? Do you think that's what it is? This is just a major position uh, decision that the team is making.
2: I really do. And I think it had a lot to do with that first preseason game. You know, it's Joe Flacco hasn't been good. And Nick Mullins has been historically bad. He's been terrible. So I think the Eagles look at it as, whoa, wait a minute. What if our guy has a, bad plan or gets hit late or just a non-contact injury our season's over before it even started because they're not trading for a veteran quarterback this year they're not they'll just roll with Joe Flacco and they'll go get that top five pick and that that'll be what it is but there's one thing I've loved what the Eagles have done and they haven't played a lot of starters this preseason but I absolutely loved Jalen Rager, Devonta Smith, and Quez Watkins played the majority of that first half, if not all of that first half, and got those valuable reps in, because I think the Eagles want to see what they have in those three. And it was important for Devonta Smith to get those reps. It's been very crucial for Rager and Watkins. I love how they've been doing that. And I hope they do that Friday night, because I think they have to see what they have in those three as a unit, because maybe they're thinking of potentially acquiring a veteran. Who knows? But I want to see the quarterback in there for a quarter with them because I want to see that timing, that chemistry go down. You're, you're only going to get down in the preseason. And I mentioned Andy and Patrick Mahomes, but the same goes with Tom Brady. I know Russell Wilson doesn't play in the preseason, but again, he's a veteran. But Trevor Lawrence, I think him learning in the preseason and struggling is going to make him a better regular season quarterback. I think Justin Herbert was struggled in the preseason last year. It, it, it's part of the maturation process, and th- that's one thing. I like when teams play their young quarterbacks in the preseason, even if it's not that much, if it's for a series or two, fine. I think it should be a quarter quarter and a half, but that's just me. Uh, That's just how I run a football team. I'm not a general manager, but at the end of the day, I think it's more of Jalen hurts, gets hurt. This season is, is over. Bottom line.
1: JK. We're all amateur general managers. Don't kid yourself. You are in your writing. You're here waiting. You're on bird 365. I play amateur general manager all the time. Um, Ask John about this I want to get your take about it, too. The use of the running back position. I just get the feeling that this is an organizational decision. This is something that should seem like, well, the coaches should decide this. You get the players, Mr. General Manager, then we get to evaluate them, and then we get to figure out how to use them. I still get the feeling that the organization's got its fingerprints all over the running back position. Do you think that's going to be the case all year long? Or do you think at some point after the roster gets cut down to 53, Harry Roseman at all back off and say, All right, guys, it's all your call now to the coaching staff?
2: I actually think this is going to be one where they both agree because, look, they're going to play Miles Sanders, Jody. I- I'm pretty sure of that. <laughs> they're going to play Kenny Gainwell. They're going to play Boston Scott. And Jordan Howard will be in the mix. I think it's going to be a true running back by committee. With that being said, I think Miles Sanders does get more touches than the rest of them because that's just how uh, you know it works. You know, He's going to be the one, at the end of the year, they're going to rely on, just like how the Colts relied on Jonathan Taylor for years. And they relied on Marlon Mack before Jonathan Taylor. And I, I think this is something that Howie Roseman is going to like. They're going to play on their running backs. That's why they're very deep at that position. I-, I have enough confidence in this team that Jordan Howard can go in there for three series and they can still be effective. Maybe not... In the passing game of a running back, but I think he can carry the football, and I, you know, that's why I think they brought in Kenny Gainwell. That's why I think Boston Scott's going to be on this team, and Miles Sanders can hold on to the football consistently, uh, catching it. it. You know, I, I think this is going to be a very dangerous group. So I'm looking at it as Roseman doesn't have to say what we think he's going to say. To Nick Sirianni, I think Nick I and the coaching staff are going to rotate these guys and do that themselves.
1: Well, let let me get your take on this. Uh, I haven't brought this up with either you or John in a while, and you can certainly lend insight here because you've talked to a bunch of players, uh, many that you've interviewed over the years. I've done a bunch myself. Running backs, at least guys I've talked to, like to say they like to get into grooves. There's such a thing as a running back groove that they don't mind taking the pounding That you do if you're a guy who gets his hands on the football a lot because it allows them to get into a groove and they just build up momentum with it. If the Eagles are going to be as much committee based, as John said, the coaching staff has been very upfront about uh, it'll keep most of them healthy and that's always a good thing, but does it keep anyone from getting into a groove? now some backs are great and that they take four or five snaps off they go back in there they're refreshed got a second uh breath and boom now they're ready to take off but some guys are rhythm based and like being in that groove do you think Miles sanders is one of those type of backs
2: i think he, how can i work this i i feel like it's going to be the hot hand, and that's how you get in your group. Like, if Miles Sanders goes off on a 70-yard touchdown run, why would you take him out? He's in his group. You keep the hot hand in there. And I think that's what teams do now with this running back by committee. You saw Tampa Bay do this last year. At the beginning of the year, it looked like Ronald Jones was going to be the guy no matter what. Then Fournette had a good week. Then all of a sudden you saw a little bit more Fournette. Then they went back to Jones again. And I feel like it's – Kansas State does this. Damian Williams was like that in the postseason two years ago. Uh, when Clyde Edwards-Lair wasn't playing as well as he did early in the season, they switched it up a little bit. They went to Darrell Williams, and then they went to um, – what's the kid's name? Uh, Darwin Thompson. So they they went to those guys a bit, and I think that's what the Eagles are going to do. But when you have a talented player like Miles Sanders, I, I think you got to give him the rock a little bit more and just say, hey, look, this is the guy we invested the second-round pick in. This is the guy with the most talent on this roster. This is the guy who should – you know, we should keep feeding. And I agree with you, Jody, uh, running backs. I've talked to, they said, and again, these are a lot older running backs too. Uh, it might be a little different now, but they all still say, Hey, we, we need a couple carries just, just to get our feet wet again. I, you know, I'm using the same um, analogy, but it's pretty much they need to get loose um, is what I, I talked to Franco Harris a couple, was it, a couple months ago. And he said that was his big thing with the Steelers. He always wanted a couple carries early just to get the feel of the game going, you know, get, get where his offensive linemen were and all that. And I, I understand that. So that's why I think it sometimes it's imperative to run the ball early. And I think that's becoming a lost start in the NFL. All
1: right. And I did bring this up with John, and I need to do it with you too. Andre Dillon. John puts the chance of him being cut at zero. I don't. I think there is a percentage chance that Harry Roseman will just say, listen, it, it it doesn't serve a purpose to have him on this team. We've got better backup offensive linemen that are here. I've offered him around the league for a conditional seventh round pick, and I have exactly zero takers. No one in the league will give me a. Now, we don't know this, but Harry Roseman should. He should have offered him to every team in the league, as a matter of fact, if you ask me. Do you keep him just for the sake of saving face? Because off what he's done in practice this year, if the reports are accurate, which I surely assume they are, he doesn't merit one of the 53-man spots. You're keeping him solely because of where you drafted him. Forget about this year's practices. Anything that ever came before in his Eagle career doesn't merit him being on the Philadelphia Eagles this year I got the, it's a number. You want me to lock into an 8% chance that he's cut, which is not zero. It's not large, but it's not zero. I think it's eight and I think it should be
2: 80. How about you? Uh, You know, I'll go to what my dad once told me. A prideful man admits his mistakes. Well, I don't know if Holly Roseman's a prideful man or not, or if he'll ever admit a mistake, at least not now. Uh, Maybe he will next year at this time. I don't think they cut Andre Dillard, but I agree with you, Jody. I think it's in the back of his mind, hey, this isn't going to work. Um, you know, He lost the left tackle job. We gave him every opportunity in the book. Let's just move on. We'll cut our losses. We'll move on. And it's unfortunate because you traded up for him. And unfortunately, I think Howie Roseman goes on Twitter and sees when I post something like, could the Eagles cut Andre Dillard? And Texans fans laugh at it because they were the team that got jumped. And they ultimately got the better player in Titus Howard, who the Eagles looked at initially, and they probably should have just got you know traded for it to begin with or traded up for it. But they wanted Andre Dillard. And I don't think they, they thought this all through. You know, Maybe it was a Mike Leach offense. And, again, I thought he was a really good pass blocker coming out of college. And I, I can't explain it. It just didn't work out. So I think it's a possibility he gets traded. Uh, I mean, cut. I just don't know if Howie Roseman is willing to admit defeat on him yet. I think it's if Jordan Malai gets hurt, they throw him in there and he's like every young guy they have. Let's see what you got.
1: Oh, unfortunately they'll see what they get and it might not be good enough, but it might get Jalen Hurts hurt. As a matter of fact, uh, I, I hate being as negative as I am on an Eagle player, a highly thought of Eagle player, at least by the uh, general manager of the entire organization when they drafted him. But he has not held up his end of the bargain. And I don't think the Eagles should be forced to hold up theirs and can g- continue to give him chance after chance after chance. In my estimation, he hasn't merited. He's Jeff Kerr. I'm Jordan McDonald. We are your Birds 365 guys. I told you, hour number two, Matt Lombardo, who used to come the Eagles for years, now is doing Giants for Fansided. He's going to join us. Hour two here on Birds 365.
2: I get scared sometimes.
4: Of a lot of things There's strong, and then there's Army strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com.
1: Got an hour in the books, which means we got an hour to play here on Bird Street 65. You got Jordan McDonald and Jeff Kerr holding it down the fort for you today. Coming up in about 20 minutes from now, Matt Lombardo is going to join us um, from Fanside.com. Giant guy, former Eagle guy. So, uh, looking forward to talking to Matt. We've had him on previously as a guest. J.K., let's flip it to the other side of the ball. We've talked uh, a lot about the Eagle offense yesterday, which apparently got the better of the Jet defense, but it was close. No one questions the fact that the Eagles defense got the better of the Jet offense that Zach Wilson was a guy who was uh, ducking and dodging and weaving just to say upright. The Eagles got a lot of good uh, pass rushes on him yesterday. And then afterwards, Fletcher Cox, uh, the Eagles perennial Pro Bowl player uh, and something would argue the best player on the Philadelphia Eagles, was asked, who does he think are going to be the breakout stars for the Philadelphia Eagles this
0: year? And he said.
1: Single out two guys, one being Quez Watkins, who of course made the uh, biggest plays first preseason game, including the only touchdown the Eagles have scored in preseason so far this year, and also Josh Sweat, which carries a little bit more weight because that's Fletcher's side of the ball, that's Fletcher's uh, wingman, that's the guy who he's going to lean on to help him have his own personal success as well. Uh, The Eagles are going to use rotating guys at the defensive end, and he picked out one specific guy to throw praise on, and that was Josh Sweat. There have been reports, I know you know them, that Fletcher Cox has, uh, for lack of a better word, maybe an inordinate amount of influence on the organization. His opinion is well-respected and well-registered when it comes to uh, other players on the team and how certain things are looked at. How much does Fletcher Cox's blessing do for Josh Sweat? Do you think maybe it's not as much a 50-50 split as we think it's going to be between he and Barnett if they're sharing that defensive end position? Is Josh Sweat the leader in the clubhouse? Uh, is he going to get more than just uh, 51%? How do you think it plays out? How much do you think Fletcher Cox giving him the nod yesterday affects the decision-making as to reps? with the Eagles on the defensive line this year?
2: I think Fletcher Cox is honestly staying the the inevitable. Josh Swett is going to be the starting defensive end on this football team. Uh, I believe that. I believe just by the way he's played this preseason or this training camp, he's really coming to his own as an edge rusher. He gets to the quarterback. He's getting a lot better at stopping the run. He looks like he can be an every-down player. With that being said, they will rotate him. And Derek Barnett and Ryan Kerrigan and Brandon Graham, because that's just what defensive ends do. But I believe if you look at the overall snap count, he is going to get more than that 51% from Derek Barnett. I think the Eagles are really high on him. I think they're hoping he has a big year so that way they can sign him to a, a decent contract, you know, so he can maybe they find a way to underpay him. Again, I mentioned Sam Hubbard before. That guy just got $40 million over four years. I think that's a pretty good deal. For a guy like Josh Schwett, if he can have his first double-digit sack season this year at his young age, I, I believe that's a very good deal, and that's what the, the going rate is for young edge rushers at this point. I'm not sure if they want to pay Derek Barnett $10.5 million next year, Jody.
1: Right, and that would would that number is uh, pretty much already set. Um, let me ask you about this, that the Eagles have had a history of doing deals right at around this time of season, maybe even a week or two into the season if there's a particular player before he gets to free agency that they feel strongly about they will work hard to get that contract extension done so they don't have to let him out into the open market sometimes they do it even when he's still under contract for a year to go that not being the case here with Sweat, he is scheduled to be a free agent at the end of the year i've heard nothing about any sub- substantive conversations between josh Sweat, his people and the Philadelphia Eagles. Are the Eagles making a mistake if that's the case and they aren't close to getting them done to an extension? Do you think at the end of the year it's going to cost even more if they decide, damn, we got to keep Josh
2: Yeah, it will cost some more because I think you got to bank on what he did last year and you got to bank on his potential. So potentially pay him more. So I look at it as if he does have a double digit sack year, if he does get 50 plus pressures guess what? Josh Sweat is going to want and his camp, they're going to want 12 to million a year because they're going to look at Trey Hendrickson and they're going to look at guys like that who have breakout years and the Saints never expected Trey Hendrickson to do what he did last year. They didn't. That's why they let him walk. It, It was just one of those things. So I think you're the Eagles' I would pay him now. Um, I would do what you did with Donovan McNabb in 2002. I believe they did with Brian Dawkins in 2001. And again, they, these guys still have a couple of years left on their initial deals. But they took care of those guys. And for the record, they were pretty much underpaid for a lot of years uh, for high-level production. I think you got to do that with Josh Webb too. I think you got to take the Joe Banner route here, and Howie Roseman's kind of cloned that over the years. He did that with Brandon Graham and you know a couple other players. I would pay Josh Wett now. I would pay him now, and I would probably pay Jordan Malata now because I think they are going to be part of your core for the for the long run. And honestly, Joe, you don't have to pay receivers. Dallas Goddard, you're going to have to pay at some point. Um, the linemen, you know, Jason Kelsey, Brandon Brooks, Lane Johnson, Isaac Sayamal, you, you don't have to worry about paying them. Miles Sanders could be a candidate, but I don't think that's going to happen this year. I don't think the Eagles value running backs that, that way. But I, I agree with you. I think I would pay Josh Wett. I, I think I would pay him now, and I, I'd say, hey, look, here's three years, $30 million. Take it or leave
1: it. Okay. You, take it, you know, you want to be careful with take, take, it, take it or leave it, but yeah. I think your numbers are right. Um, and I think you hit another nail on the head, so I'm going to try and nail you down even further. The two most logical candidates are Sweat and Maelotta because they're both free agents at the end of the year. There isn't a wiggle room. There isn't the, well, let's wait and see, uh, and we can always go to the next year of the contract. Yes, maybe it'll go up, but maybe it'll just flatten off. Maybe even comes back to us. Usually if it comes back to you, that means he hasn't played well enough. Then you may have to rethink your position as to whether that is someone you want to extend, Uh, but they don't have that luxury with either Sweat or Mylata. If they only can do one of the two, if uh, you're looking at Howie's books and Eagles' future commitments and the contracts already that are there, and you say, we can get one done here, Howie, but going forward, don't know that we're going to be able to afford both guys. It's going to be one or the other. Which one do you think the Eagles should make the commitment to?
2: You got to pay the left tackle. You'll always got to pay the left tackle. You got to protect your quarterback. Um, defensive ends, again, it's not like they're a dime a dozen cause they're not, but I feel like they've done such a good job in the draft of finding defensive ends. Like it, look, if Derek Barnett wasn't a first round pick, you would be singing praises over what they were able to get for him. But he was a first round pick. He was the 14th overall pick in the draft. And thankfully he was not Charles Harris, who another guy, the Eagles like Charles Harris has been, I don't want to call him a bust, but he's been terrible. Um, so again, it's. The Eagles seem to get that one right uh, in terms of who they were looking at, at in that draft class that year. But, look, I think they can find another Josh Sweat. I think this front office has done a good job of finding pass rushers over the years. I think they can find another one. Left tackles in this league do not grow on trees, and the Eagles are learning that with Andre Dillard. You know, The Eagles have been very lucky for a lot of years since uh, our colleague uh, Barrett Brooks left the nest. Um, they had Trey Thomas. Then they had Jason Peters. You do not have two decades worth of success at left tackle. You just don't. And they thought they were going to hit it for three decades at Andre Dillard. Well, they might have hit it with Jordan Malata. So I think you got to pay him. He's just going to be the linchpin for this offensive line going down the road for years to come. And if Jalen Hurts is your franchise quarterback, he's going to be the guy to protect him. Malata is still ridiculously young. And you know this as well as I do, Jody. How much better the Eagles got when they signed a tackle in free agency back in 2000, John Runyon. They, they got tremendously better across the board on offense just because they signed a, a premier right tackle. That's how I feel Jordan Malata could be for this football team.
1: They have had pretty damn high production at both sides of the line, right and left tackle. Uh, running down the years of uh, the guys that they've had in place. As you did, you are 100% on point. Uh, the Eagles have done a very good job at evaluating those two bookend, very important positions on the offensive line. Well, you've just given me my favorite Jeff Car line ever. I'm going to uh, continue to bring this one up with you. I'm not going to say a bust, uh, the player is a bust, but he's been terrible. He's been terrible. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, sounds exactly the same to me, but I like it just the same. All right, uh, I talk, we talked about it too, so John, we'll get your take on it too. I know you brought it up with him. I followed up about the linebacker position and more specifically the Sam linebacker position. We don't really know how the linebackers are going to be used in this new Jonathan Gannon defense. Uh, John believes, and I do too, and I think you do too, they're keeping a lot of things under wraps. What you've seen in the two preseason games – Might not look like anything that they're going to do week one against Atlanta. Gannon has come out and said deception is something that he believes strongly in. He doesn't want the other quarterback to be able to look over at his defense when he comes to the line of scrimmage and go, I well, I know what they're going to do here. No, he wants to keep the other quarterback confused, which means they don't want to put a lot of stuff on tape. All that being said, I don't even know if their linebackers come. Singleton's going to be great. Well, I don't know if I'd go great, but really good. We don't know which position he's going to be, where he's going to be on the field. We know he's going to be out there a ton. And after that, I'm not sure how the Eagle linebackers are going to be deployed. Now, in all these joint practices, they've had three. Maybe I shouldn't say all. But in all three of the joint practices, the defenses looked really good. They played really strong. Are we supposed to have faith in Jonathan Gannon's linebackers just because... We're Eagle fans, and you have to believe that this is going to work out, or do you have a grasp in your own mind as to what's going to be the responsibilities and what's going to be the level of play of Eagle linebackers this year?
2: Unlike prior years, I actually think they have talent linebacker. You know, I they might actually be good at linebacker for the first time in probably since the Super Bowl year when they had Jordan Hicks and Michael Kendricks. Uh, you know. I agree with you. Alex Singleton's going to be a good football player. Uh, he already kind of is a good football player. It's, the sky's the limit for this guy. He he always seems to be around the football, which is what you want in a linebacker. Eric Wilson, I think Eagles fans are really going to like him in coverage. He's, he is a really good cover linebacker. Can he tackle? That's what I worry about. But, again, it, it, there were years where he looked great with the Minnesota Vikings, and last year he was just terrible. That's why the Eagles were able to get him cheap but he's still a really good pass covering linebacker. And I think that's what John Fagan wants. That, I, look, they're going to be the two, but they also have depth. I mean, it looks like TJ Edwards, I, I mean, we kind of saw flashes of him. The Eagles, Jim Schwartz always liked him, but it looks like he can play football too if they need him to. Um, Janard Avery, again, who knows how they're going to use him, but it seems like he has a valuable role on this team. And again, if, if John Fagan wants to put Ryan Kerrigan as that Sam linebacker I think that makes them incredibly stronger. Um, I'm not as worried at, about linebacker as I used to be with this football team, and I think that's because of the defensive coordinator. And I think it's the talent they've acquired. Maybe they actually figured out how to get linebackers in this league. Uh, who knows? But I like what they were able to do this all season. I like how they found the diamond in the rough and Alex Singleton. Honestly, Jody, I still am a little. I'm more concerned about secondary than linebacker. But I think this linebacking core, it can be something this year. I I think Eagles fans are going to be pleasantly surprised with this group. All
1: right. Give me your concerns with the secondary. I know you compared them to the linebackers and just level of concern. You didn't say you're woefully concerned about the Eagles secondary. I think the starting corners have looked good in both the practices. Neither one of them got abused in either of the two preseason games in Slay and Nelson. McPherson, we've been told, was uh, a practice warrior. But in the game, the Patriots kind of uh, took took advantage of him a little bit. What is it about the secondary that is, at least in part, concerning
2: to you? I'm concerned about the depth. Um, What happens if Steven Nelson or Darius Slay get hurt? Who's going to be that quarterback? Are you going to put Zach McPherson in there? I'm okay if they do. Trial by fire. I mean, that's what you got him for. But ultimately, I don't think he's ready for that test yet. And I think we saw that a little bit on Thursday. Now, again, Javagan may be hiding something here. Who knows? But I'm concerned about the depth. Uh, Craig James, again, I like him. I don't want him starting three or four games this year. I just don't. Uh, Avante Max, I like him in the slot. I kind of like Zach McPherson in the slot. Maybe a little bit outside. You rotate him a bit. So I'm worried about the depth at cornerback a little bit. But I love the starters. I love how they got Steven Nelson. I think he'll be great with Darius Slay. If those two could stay healthy all year, you know, my, my fears will, will go away very quick. Um, in I'm a little disappointed in Kayvon Wallace. I thought he was going to be better than what he's been. Um I don't want to say the guys all talk, but it looks like that's what he is so far. You know, yeah, that's great. Everybody likes him on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he retweets everybody. Okay, great. Great. He's a fan favorite. Can the guy play football? I thought he take a bigger step in year two. And maybe it's because, oh, they drafted a safety out of Clemson and we know how well the last safety they dra- they drafted out of Clemson was. Well, no, he's not Brian Dawkins. No. <laughs> but I want to know if in a pinch, especially if Rodney McLeod is not ready for week one, this guy can take the reins. And I think this is a prove-it year for K-Bob Wallace. Again, I-, I like the kid. I think the kid has potential, but he hasn't shown it yet. Marcus Epps, I... You know what? I've been pleasantly surprised by Marcus Epps. I'll give Marcus Epps a lot of credit for where he's come from. And, you know, he was obviously the guy who got picked on by DK Metcalf in that playoff game. He is not a bad football player. Uh, He's a guy that I feel can be really good for them in dime packages. I I, I do. And, you know, so I'm not as concerned about the safety position because they do have depth there. And Anthony Harris, I think, is going to be fine for them. Once Rodney McLeod gets back, they'll be fine. But Kayvon Wallace is the one where I got to see it on the field.
1: That is very fair. And that's why I asked John about McLeod, because he can see what kind of work he's getting in on the side. Uh, he is still on the pup list. So we can't really find out much about whether he will or won't be ready for the first season. It's just going to kind of happen. And then the Eagles are going to have to get him up to speed. They believe with a veteran, they can certainly do that if his uh, physical limitations are not going to keep him out of the lineup. I'm with you on Epps. Epps has been solid. He hasn't found anybody. It isn't like he had glowing reports, the most dominant player in an Eagle practice. But he's been solid. He was more solid last year than bad. Um, And I think he has to be the guy. If Wallace had been healthy all throughout camp, I think we'd have a good enough read on him. We need to say... Uh, yes, he's good enough to start her. No, he still needs training. He's a question mark for me, because he has missed as many practices as he has. He has had the injuries that he's had. Well, you got to go with the guy you've seen, and we've seen Epps, and Epps isn't bad. He's not great, but he isn't bad either. So I think, and and this is probably unfortunate, but I think Kevin Wallace lost out on an opportunity because he's missed as much time here as he has in the preseason I think he would have been given the chance to grab that job Uh, a lot of people had him listed as the guy who was going to fill in for uh Rodney McLeod if he wasn't ready to go I think that opportunity has uh, slipped out of his grasp and I don't know that he's going to get it have this monster game against the Jets on Thursday and the depth chart will be reflipped and he'll be back on top as Eagles starting safety
2: yeah I agree and if there's any player on this team I that I feel has made the most of their opportunities over the last two years. Marcus Epps is up there. Um, you know, he was a guy that in, he did not play well that playoff game against the Seahawks. And I know he was thrown in there and he was one of those undrafted guys and all that. But I'm like, Man, I don't know how he's going to make this roster in 2020. They're going to improve it, right? Well, you got to give the former defensive coaching staff credit. They developed him and they made him a solid football player. And you know what? It's that works in the NFL. Oselio Hansen was a solid quarterback for a lot of years in the NFL. Rod Hood, same thing, and he had, he eventually got paid because he was a solid cornerback. You know, that's who, who I feel Marcus Epps can be at his position, at safety. Uh again, solid player, he may have a chance to start down the line, but there's nothing wrong with having Marcus F. Start a, a couple games for Rodney McLeod. I feel like you can do that and tell Rodney, hey, you know what? Take the extra week. Take the extra two. Marcus can fill in the job. And I agree with you, Jody. I think Kayvon Wallace missed out there. Again, it's unfortunate because of the injury. But he hasn't been great either. And, you know, that's one thing that scares me about him. It's, is this guy, is he part of your future? I think you got to find that out at some point this year. But I wouldn't throw him in their week one when you have a, a commodity already and marcus Epps, you know what you're getting i
1: would too uh i think you got to protect him a little bit i'm still pretty high on his overall talent i think he's I going agree. to develop to the point where he's going to be the starting safety for the eagles uh maybe not here in 2021 uh but sometime down the road in 22 or 23. i still like the talent but i just don't think he's been able to show enough to merit being the starting safety for the Eagles, even if Rodney McLeod starts the year on the pup list. Uh, he is Jeff Kerr. Jody McDonald. We are your Birds 365 guys. Coming up next, we'll mix the Giants and the Eagles together. Guy who's been doing both teams. He did uh, the Birds for years in town. Now he's doing Giants for fan-sided. He covers the entire National Football League as well. Matt Lombardo's going to jump aboard next year on Birds 365.
4: There's Strong, and then there's Army Strong. Try it on at GoArmy.com.
1: Appreciate you tuning in for this show to Bird 365. McDonald, Jeff Gerr, and look at that smiling face. He's, he seems like he's happy to be here. Uh, you know him uh, for years. He covered the Eagles in town, guys. Now he's doing the Giants and the entire National Football League for fan sided Matt Lombardo hops on with us. Grand Birds 365. How you doing, Matty? I'm great, Jody. Hey, Jeff. How you guys doing?
2: I can't complain, Matt. Uh, Daily Local alum, aren't you?
1: I am,
9: yeah. Got my start there covering uh, high school sports out in Westchester and you know kind of tried to climb the ladder from there so yeah definitely definitely fond memories from the daily local days
2: yeah same here um Mm. yeah i got my start there i think it was what three or four years i remember i I think i was reading one of your articles at one time and andy Hatchadorium walked by me and said hey he's
1: here (laughs) oh Matt, (laughs) matt we're glad to have you on today um Giants doing the same thing as the Eagles, doing the joint practice thing. As a matter of fact, the uh they'll be doing it with the Patriots. Patriots doing both the Giants and the Eagles this year. Um, we saw what uh the Eagles were attempting to achieve last week at two good practices, but then let it egg in the preseason game. What is your guy, Joe Judge, looking to get out of this week and that final preseason game to get the Giants ready for the season?
9: Yeah, Jody. I actually wrote about this this morning in my national column on Fansided.com. <clears throat> Excuse me. It seems as though these NFL head coaches, whether it's Nick Sirianni or Joe Judge or Kevin Stefanski, they're telling you outright that preseason games—they used to not matter. They matter even less now. That these teams and these coaches get a far more thorough evaluation out of the joint practices, where they can really work on a bunch of different things, kind of ramp up the intensity. It's not televised on TV, so you. You don't have to worry about a vanilla game plan or anything like that. And I think that what Joe Judge is doing and Nick Sirianni did last week is they're treating this third and final preseason game as the way you used to treat the third preseason game when there were four of them. It's kind of the dress rehearsal, the exhibition, uh, you know, full, <clears throat> full workload for the starters during this final preseason game. But I think the league and these coaches will be better off if we just move to two or three weeks of joint practices, let these guys really lace them up on the practice field do what they need to do there. Maybe televise it and then move to just one preseason game when you go to the 18-game schedule.
2: Matt, do you think it's more of an old-school, new-school approach here? Because you look at Andy Reid, obviously you saw the Chiefs game Friday night. He played the Stars. Uh, Mike Tomlin on Saturday, he played Ben Roethlisberger almost a half. It seems like the older – or the more experience you have in the league, the more you're playing your Stars.
9: Yeah, I think there's a lot to that, Jeff. I think that there's a – in- among some head coaches that this is the way it's always been done, this is the way it's worked for me, this is the way that I've had success. and uh, I've used these games as an evaluation tool throughout my whole career. Why would I change now? And I think you see some of these younger coaches who are coming in and and they know that there's more of a risk for injury in a game situation where you're not trying to go full speed where you're not out there trying to win the game and you're just trying to get some work in whereas in practices you can really ramp it up I mean you look at the Giants and Browns joint practices last week it was all kinds of trash talk you know John Gruden threw his team on the bus after a fight during joint practices with I believe it was the San Francisco 49ers so you just look at, at what's happening around the NFL right now And it seems like the trend is moving towards intense joint practices where you can kind of run the same scheme that you're going to run in games or at least some semblance of it because you're not going to be playing these guys during the regular season. That's why you do it this way. And you don't have to worry about giving state secrets away in the preseason game. You don't have to worry about putting your guys out there at half speed.
1: Matt, last week, Jalen Hurts (laughs) got hurt right before the Eagles preseason game against uh, the Patriots. uh, Yeah, the Patriots. And uh, ended up not taking any snaps whatsoever. Overly precautious. He admitted yesterday in practice. Yeah, if it was a regular season game, I would have fought through it. I would have played. Didn't. They sent him off to the hospital. But he's perfectly fine. Was so in practice yesterday. But there's a good chance now that he's not going to play this week, which means he's going to come into the season with 10 whole snaps in preseason. Get ready as a second-year player. Well, You've got a quasi-similar thing. A third-year player. And Daniel Jones, who has taken zero snaps so far, how much is uh, is Coach Judge going to play him? Is there a chance that he doesn't even get on the field for New York this week and goes into the season with not a single preseason snap?
9: Yeah, Jody, it sounds to me like the Giants are going to play their starters, including Daniel Jones, for maybe up to the first half. They're going to treat this the same way they used to the third preseason game. But this kind of furthers my point. That you look at the way Sirianni and Judge have handled this preseason, I don't know that there's any empirical data that shows that young quarterbacks need to play in the preseason. You know, Sean McVay doesn't play Jared Goff during didn't play Jared Goff m- during most preseasons, and he had his best year of his career in that second year where he didn't play any preseason games. So I, I think that we we've kind of been conditioned to preseason being the ramp up to the regular season, and these guys needing quote unquote game reps, but. If the coaches aren't going to put the same amount of preparation into the game plans and into even the defenses that these quarterbacks are going to be getting, I don't know what you're getting out of the game action. So it's going to be really interesting to see, but I will say this. I'll be fascinated to watch what happens in the month of September in weeks one, two, and three. If these guys aren't getting a lot of work during the games, I don't want to hear coaches say – that they didn't get a lot of work during the preseason and that's why it's a slow start to the regular season because they've a, a lot of coaches a lot of coaches around the league have punted on the game so yep. um it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the early part of this season as a result of this new strategy
2: Matt you're in the trenches here uh, from the outside looking in it just looks like Joe Judge is – running a high school-type practice, high school-type camp. I don't even think some of these players have experienced the high school, the, the actual high school-type practice or camp. How are they reacting to all this?
9: Well, the Giants had four players retire in the matter of, of a week, so there's that. Uh, no, but, you know, every circumstance was different there. Kelvin Benjamin came in at about 16 pounds overweight, and there was a, a you know pretty, pretty public dispute between – Kelvin Benjamin, Joe Judge, and Dave Gettleman over that, and then he basically walked out of practice 15 minutes in. Joe Looney and, uh, you know, Zach Fulton are two veteran offensive linemen who retired a couple days after signing when there was the big practice fight, benches cleared, the entire team went at it, and Judge had them run a series of 100-yard gassers with sets of 10 push-ups in between. And I don't think that that sat well with some of the the older players who wound up retiring afterwards. And look, I don't think that Joe Judge is running anybody off the team. I don't think that anybody is pushing back against his methods because you talk to players on and off the record, and, and they love Joe Judge. They love the intense culture that he's trying to forge there with the New York Giants. But it just comes down to if you were a guy who was kind of at the back end of your career, kind of just hanging on, and you had to go through that, that might have been the straw that broke the camel's back to force to push you or nudge you into retirement. But by and large, ever since that fight, it's been pretty business as usual. You know, there hasn't been a whole lot of fisticuffs, there hasn't been anything that looks any different than a normal training camp. Um, but, but the one thing that I will say is you talk to veteran players like Logan Ryan and Saquon Barkley and Evan Ingram, and they make the comments that that fight might actually wind up bringing that team together because they went through it together. We'll see. I don't know that if if that matters in October November, what happened on the practice field in July during a big fight, but there's always a chance that it's a chemistry-building moment for sure. Matt, feel free
1: to tell me, Jody, this is your bad, your fault. All during the offseason, I was led to believe by reports, like guys like yourself, maybe I didn't do enough research that Saquon Barkley was going to start the first game of the year, that he was going to be good to go when the Giants opened up. He was going to be their starting running back. We still haven't seen Saquon much. Was there a change in his injury? Did it not heal as fast as they thought? Did they change his rehab along? Or did I just misread it from the start that it was never a given that he was going to be ready for the start of the season? Because as we sit here today, we still don't know if Barkley's going to be good to go for week number one. Give me your breakdown on how this offseason has played for the Giants lead back.
9: Yeah, well, we have to remember, Jody, there's still three weeks before the regular season kicks off. Week one isn't until September 12th. So uh, I don't think the door has been closed by any means on Saquon Barkley – playing week one against the Denver Broncos. I think the Giants have taken a really cautious approach here. And Joe Judge has said, basically from jump, I spoke to Judge prior to training camp even beginning, and he told me that the goal here is that once they get Saquon Barkley on the field, to keep him on the field. That they're taking a very long-term approach, not just for this season, but for the rest of Barkley's career. And, you know, you look at the timeline, the injury happened in week two of last season, so you're not even a full year out from a torn ACL. The Giants plan on getting Barkley back into live drills tomorrow during the joint practice with the Patriots. I don't think he'll play against the Patriots, but I wouldn't rule it out. And I certainly wouldn't rule out Barkley starting week one on the field, in the backfield for the New York Giants. Uh, I just think that the Giants are taking a, a very cautious approach with this, and there wasn't any real reason to get him on the field in practice because they know what he is. They know what he's capable of. It's just a matter of getting him healthy and keeping him healthy from here.
2: Matt, we know all the pressures on Daniel Jones this year. There's no doubt about that. But I still feel the Giants have done this kid no favors uh, up front in the trenches. Uh, How is the Giants offensive line looking right now?
9: Yeah, Jeff, you're absolutely right. I mean, this whole season is about evaluating Daniel Jones, figuring out whether he can be an elite franchise quarterback. And to the Giants credit, they went out and they spent significant resources bringing in weapons. Kenny Galladay, $45 million guaranteed. They brought in Kyle Rudolph kind of as that red zone weapon. And that second tight end, as you're seeing teams around the league go more and more to two tight end schemes. They draft Kadarius Toney in the first round. But you're right, that offensive line, I haven't been impressed. I think they've kind of been dominated throughout training camp in one-on-one drills against the Giants defensive line. They haven't looked great in their one showing during the preseason against the Jets back in week one. And I look at the Giants and on paper they have a top 10 or so defense and if Jones makes the leap with that supporting cast, there's no reason they can't win 8, 9, 10 games and push for a playoff berth in the NFC and, and really compete in what I think is going to be a much better NFC East this year. It can't get much worse, but that offensive line can really be what holds them back. And, and I've just watched throughout this training camp. I've been to more than a handful of practices, watched the preseason game against the Jets. And I have to wonder if that offensive line doesn't lower that ceiling to a team that can win six or seven games because they just can't keep Jones upright. It's going to be really fascinating to watch how it unfolds.
1: Matt, uh, I think that there's a very good comparison to be made between Daniel Jones and Jalen Hurts. They're not competing this year against anyone else on their team. Come on, Mike Lennon, he's going to step in for that. Not happening. We saw enough of Mike Lennon in the two preseason games. And Brian Lamorkee just got there. And I don't really, I never thought he was an NFL quarterback. We'll see if he's meritorious of the third spot. No, Daniel Jones, like Jalen Hurts, is competing against every other quarterback on every other team in either the NFL or at the top of the NFL college draft this upcoming year that's the way I feel is that the way you feel do you think that Daniel Jones will admit that this year that a lot of quarterbacks have to look over their shoulder Jones does too but it's a very wide look he's got to get because it's basically everyone else on the planet who could potentially be the Giants next quarterback with the same exact thing being in place here in Philadelphia yeah,
9: Jody, you're absolutely right. And I've written about this a couple of different times. Now, nobody in the Giants organization, Dave Gettleman, Joe Judge, Daniel Jones, any of them will admit that that's what's going on here. Daniel Jones and Joe Judge have both admitted, though, that this is a big year for Jones, that this is the year where he needs to put up and show that he can be a quarterback who's better than a guy who's won eight games through his first two seasons, who has nearly three times as many turnovers as he has wins. He needs to show them that he's the guy this year. Same thing with Jalen Hurts. You look at what they've done in Philadelphia. They have two, possibly three first-round picks that they can trade for a Deshaun Watson, assuming that he gets cleared of any wrongdoing legally this offseason, or trade up to go get the number one pick in the draft, or trade for an Aaron Rodgers if the Eagles are a situation that Rodgers believes that he would like to go to and try to win with. And the same goes for Daniel Jones, because if he doesn't prove that he's the guy – The Giants have an additional first-round pick. They picked up the Bears' first-round pick in that trade that netted Justin Fields for Chicago. So it's kind of put-up or shut-up time for both Jalen Hurts and Daniel Jones, and both of their teams are very well positioned to go out and get their replacements next offseason.
2: Now, Matt, you brought up that trade. I actually kind of thought the Giants should have stayed at 11. Uh, You know, Justin Fields was very intriguing. I didn't think they were going to go that route, but – Michael Parsons was available, and I thought he would have been an absolute stud on that defense. Uh, what was your take? Do you think they should have traded down, or you think they should have stayed?
9: Yeah, I think getting that additional first-round pick is huge. I don't know that I would have taken Kadarius Toney over Elijah Moore or Rondale Moore or any of the other big receivers who were still on the board when the Giants went on the clock at number 20, but I'm with you. I think that if you could have dropped Micah Parsons into that defense alongside Blake Martinez, you would have one of the, the two – most formidable inside linebackers in the entire league, a guy who's 120 plus tackle guy and Blake Martinez, a captain of the defense, and a real Swiss Army knife and Micah Parsons, who, you know, goes to Penn State, five star recruit, number one defensive end in the country. And within a year and a half, he's a first team All American at inside linebackers. That's just how versatile and athletic he is. You're seeing the impact. He's making on the Cowboys, highest graded run defender in the entire NFL preseason. He seems to always be around the football. So yeah, I, I agree with you in terms of if, if the first round pick wasn't part of that package, I think Michael Parsons should have been the pick there. I think that you know you could have justified any of the receivers that were still on the board being the pick there. You could have taken any of the remaining offensive tackles that were on the board there. But that first round pick next year gives you so many options because if Daniel Jones isn't the guy as we discussed, now you have the leverage and you have the the war chest to go and put together a package of picks that's as formidable as any team in the league to go and get your quarterback. But if Jones winds up being the guy, okay, now you have two picks that you can go up and get a franchise offensive tackle or you can go and get a franchise inside linebacker or you can go and get an extra playmaker at tight end or at wide receiver to continue building the arsenal around him. So that first round pick to me kind of tipped the scales in favor of making that trade.
1: Matt, I've done a couple of shows in New York over the last uh, couple of months, and when I get a giant uh, guy on, I've asked him uh, the same question that I'm going to put to you right now. I I was pretty good with the moves that Gettleman's made during the offseason, the uh, trade down that you just mentioned, and the additions of talent as far as weapons go for Daniel Jones. I do like some of the things he's done. The one decision that they made that I absolutely disagree with was letting Delvin Tomlinson go. I thought he was a key to that defensive line last year. Yes, Williams puts up the numbers and Lawrence will get the sacks, but he was the anchor in the middle and got pressure up the nose that uh, helped those guys able to make plays and put up sacks and get numbers. Did they do a good enough job replacing him? I don't think so, do you?
9: Yeah, Jody, I agree with you there, because I think Dalvin Tomlinson is a homegrown player, a guy that, wasn't just a dominant run stuffer, but gave you an interior pass rush presence. You very well liked in the locker room. And I believe that he's one of those guys that you try to build around, especially if you're trying to build a dominant defensive line. We'll see what happens. I mean, Austin Johnson is a guy they brought back. They brought back you know, a couple of, of veteran players. I do love Dexter Lawrence, and I think he's going to take a, a major step in his career this season. But to have Dalvin Tomlinson, Dexter Lawrence, and Leonard Williams up front, that was a uh,
1: we're hoping to see if, Matt, Matt, Matt. move your computer just a second, see if we get a better spot. Uh, we got most of your answer on that one, um, the Tomlinson thing. You think the guys that they brought in okay replacing him? No, I think we've. I think we've officially lost Matt. We'll let Matt run. Well, uh, I'll certainly send t- Max, Matt a text and tell him thanks very much for hopping on board. Did a good job uh, breaking down the Giants for us. Key team in the division. We know that the uh, three squads that the Giants are going to play twice this year. Dallas, uh, it's the Washington football team, and the Giants uh, got to be able to win those divisional games. So we'll see plenty of big blue this year. All right, we'll take our final timeout. Jeff and I will come back. we still got 20 minutes to go on this 99th edition of Birds 365.
2: I get scared sometimes
5: of a lot of things
2: joining in
4: decisions
2: the dark the dark but I once heard someone say
5: but as I always say
2: it's okay to be afraid
5: as long as you face the fear
6: and keep moving forward wherever you are in life Count on the name trusted in insurance for over 80 years. Independence Blue Cross.
4: There's strong, and then there's army strong. Try it on at goarmy.com.
1: I'm actually going to get guys up on uh, wireless connected computers to drop into a spot. I'm just busting. Uh, our buddy's uh, chops a little bit. Matt did a really good job with us. I think he's a, an outstanding football reporter, did it here in Philly for years, doing it now, up the Turnpike, uh, covering the New York Giants. We thank Matt Lombardo for hopping on board. All right, uh, before we get back to the Eagles and a joint practice, which is going to get underway shortly here, uh, Jeff, and then we'll uh, break it all down for everybody tomorrow here on Birds 365. It was announced yesterday that Dick Vermeil has been ch- – chosen as the coaching candidate the coaching finalist by the hall of fame and will be in the vote next year prior to the super bowl day before although we don't know for sure yet but it looks like they're just going to do it virtually again they did it virtually last year and it went pretty well, according to everybody. Um, so uh, talking to guys like Damo and Gary Myers, two guys I know, on, in that very select forty-man, 49-man uh, group who makes the selections, they kind of think it's going to stay uh, virtual, and it had forever been meeting and actually doing it as one big group right before the Super Bowl again every single year. Uh, a couple of years back, they changed the rules, the way that they select guys for the Hall of Fame. They felt that coaches were getting a bit of a short shrift, So they wanted to do it ahead of time and give the selection committee a guaranteed coach as a finalist every single year. This year, it's going to be Dick Vermeil. Uh, to this point, the coaches who have been in front of the committee, the panel to get voted on on that day before the Super Bowl have done pretty well. They've all been able to make it. If they've been the selected candidate, they've gotten a prerequisite 80%. Looks pretty good for Dick Vermeil to finally make the Hall of Fame this year, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, it does. And I'll tell you what. I never really thought of Dick Vermeil as a Hall of Famer until a lot of those guys from the greatest show on turf got it. Uh, you know, Kurt Warner was the biggest shock to me. I still don't think the guy's a Hall of Famer, even though he was very, very good with the Rams. And, but, you know, that's just my opinion. I loved Kurt Warner when he played. I just never thought of him as a Hall of Famer. Marshall Falk, definitely yes. Isaac Bruce, Isaac Bruce yes. Tory Holt I think will get in. At some point, um, who's the Orlando Pace is in? Aeneas Williams is in. Uh, there, there are a lot of guys on that Rams team that are in. Why not put the coach in?
1: Wow, you're a it sounds to me like you're a tough grader like me. Uh, we got off on this tangent uh, over the weekend on my CBS show. So let me uh, run it by you. Eli Manning, a Hall of Fame quarterback? No. Uh, No, Um, you are tough. I say no, too. And it usually gets me, uh, beats the snot out of me up in New York. How (laughs) can you dare not say Eli Manning? Oh, I know he won two Super Bowls, and I know he got the MVP in both of those two Super Bowls. Voted MVP by fans in one of them. Mm, Okay, but hey, well, he would have got my vote. So I look at him as the MVP. Yeah, I don't care what anybody else said. It's uh, uh, my opinion that if I'm the guy who's making a decision, got a vote to cast as a Hall of Famer, it would be what I thought he did that day. And he merited both MVPs. One of them was kind of aided by a lucky catch that just kind of pinned to a guy's helmet and i think you need to factor that in some people factor it in too much some people just dismiss it oh it's a great play well no it's a lucky play more than anything else um but no you've got to look at the entire career and when eli was good he was not only good he was great but that was
2: infrequent enough that i think he's just on the outside looking in I think if Eli would have just called it the career after that second Super Bowl, I think he gets in. I think it, the longer he played, it made it worse cuz what here's what is so frustrating about his career. When they did make the playoffs, he made some excellent postseason runs and got to give the guy credit for that. But the longevity, yeah, he played for a while and he's up on the leaderboards, but I just feel like he just wasn't he was never like and I know Eagles fans don't like to hear the name, but Donovan McNabb was a better quarterback than him. He just was. And his prime was a lot better than Eli's prime. If You know, if I look at Eli Manning's five best years in the league and compare him to Hall of Famers, it's not even close. I think that's how Kurt Warner ultimately got in. You look at what he did from 98 to 2001, uh, I mean, 99 to 2000, he was phenomenal. Two MVPs, uh, you know, and then what he did with the Cardinals, he took them to the Super Bowl. I just can't judge Eli Manning based on two great postseasons. I, Jim Plunkett's not in yet, so why would we put Eli in? I,
1: say, I think they go together. Either you put them both in or you keep them both out. I've heard some people say, well, no, Eli's in, but Jim Plunkett's not. Because as you pointed out, Eli is on some lists that are total lists, not average lists. I, I love the fact, oh, but he's got the most, fifth most passing, fifth, eighth most touchdown. Okay. Where does he rank on the all-time quarterback ranking list? Oh, not nearly as high, because that's an average, not just a compilation. Give Eli Manning Manning credit for this. And I think some people poo-poo this. I try not to. If you play a lot, then you're going to compile numbers. You're going to get big numbers in total columns. There's something to be said for that, because specifically in football, Because a lot of guys get hurt. A lot of guys miss games. A lot of guys don't get a chance to put up those kind of numbers because you can't put them when you're standing on the sidelines. I think one of the best arguments for Eli Manning as a Hall of Famer is the guy answered the bell every single week for as many years as he did. He never got hurt, which is, I think, a pretty damn good trait to have. But now then you come back to, but what did he do? What were his overall results? And for the Giants, while he was the quarterback, when he was great, he was great. When he wasn't, he was pretty damn average, and I'm sorry, an average player doesn't get in the Hall of Fame.
2: No, it's not the Hall of Very Good. It's not the Hall of Average. It's the Hall of Fame, and there were way better quarterbacks that played in that era. I I mean, really, if you're putting Eli Manning in the Hall of Fame, and I know he has two Super Bowls, you better call up Philip Rivers and all his children and tell them you're going to Canton because Philip Rivers was way better than
1: Mm, yeah, I don't know about that either. I don't think that Rivers is necessarily Hall of him I that don't whole
2: class, it, but... The one
1: guy I'm uh, unquestioned for me is Roethlisberger. He's in. Uh, yes. Benze, no question, Hall of Famer for me. I think Rivers is kind of like uh, Manning. Close, but no cigar. And, oh, by the way, shame on me. I got off on this tangent. I was asking you about Dick Vermeer. Uh Got to know the coach over the years. Uh, if he hadn't won the championship with the Rams, then I don't think we'd even be having this conversation. What he did, as you correctly said, tie him in with a bunch of other Hall of Fame players that he had. He was the guy who was directing all of that. I sure as heck hope I am rooting. Uh, if I have to, I will call both uh, Damo and Gary Myers. We'll have him here on the show, by the way. And I will twist both of their arms. when. And I know I don't have to twist Domo, but I might have to twist Gary Myers a little bit. I sure as hell hope that uh, Coach gets there.
2: I do too. And I think it's going to be a formality at this point. Cause every coach that has been picked um, as this coach up uh, from this coach committee, they've gotten it. Uh, Bill Cowher, Jimmy Johnson. It's it just started in 2019. They've all gotten in. So it does look like Dick Vermeule is going to get in. And I hope they do mention this. And a lot of old time Eagles fans are this. My dad grew up Eagles fan. He did not see, does not remember a winning season until Dick Vermeil was a head coach. And that was when he was 22. So, Dick Vermeil did a lot for this franchise as well. He built this team. He had that three-year plan. It worked for him. The the three-year plan clearly worked with the Eagles and the Rams. Took the Eagles to the playoffs. They had three consecutive ten-win seasons in Philadelphia. Which, believe it or not, that was kind of unheard of for a little bit until Dick Vermeil showed up. So he built a winning culture there. Obviously, got burned out. Had a great broadcasting career, by the way. I think that should be mentioned as well. It was great for ABC for a lot of years. Probably would have been the Monday Night Football guy if he would have stayed retired. Uh, I know. I was, like, seven years old when Lurie tried to lure him back and they just couldn't come to an agreement. Um, you know, I just remember hearing about the greatness of Dick Vermeil and how he was going to revitalize the franchise again. And they picked the job at the Rams, so we kind of followed the Rams growing up. And I'll tell you what, it's, uh, you know, just the way he handled a lot of things there and, you know, his career in Kansas City probably wasn't – didn't live up to the expectations. But, again, they had a really good offense those years in Kansas City too. That, that guy definitely knew how to build an offense.
1: And uh, although the Rams' accomplishment is probably what's going to put him over the top, and he was always, when I've ever talked to Coach uh, since he officially called it a career at coaching, he did it once before. Uh, but the official last retirement speech that he gave um, yeah, he did appreciate his time with all three organizations he worked for. I will forever think of him as a Philly guy. Sorry, even though he won the Super Bowl with the Rams, I think of him more as a Philly guy than a Ram guy. But I digress again. Uh, All right, Jeff, we only got a couple of minutes left. Eagles-Jets joint practice day two. What do you think the Eagles are attempting to achieve? What do you want to see them achieve? How important is this? It's almost like I'm rooting against them today because I want to see a couple of guys play in the exhibition game on Friday. Shoot, I'm going. I'm going to be there. So I want to see a couple of uh, significant Eagles in the lineup. I fear that's not going to be the case, but uh, is this today's uh, practice that important because the decision's already been made that you're going to get a major scaled down version of in the of the Eagles in the third preseason game?
2: I think you, did the, you hit the nail on the head, Jody. If they play well, they are not playing Friday night. And as much as I want to see the offense play well, I kind of hope that not that they suck, but they have an okay day. And then maybe Sariani goes, you know what? Maybe we need to get these guys out one more time, you know, just to have them get live reps. and Maybe they'll do that anyway. Who knows? They, they keep everything so in-house and secretive. But overall, how these practices, I just want to hear Jalen Hurts had a good day again. He had a good day yesterday. I want to see him do that back-to-back days. The receivers had a good day yesterday. Uh, you know, maybe Travis Fulgham can find a way to – play his way back onto the roster, uh, you know, make it unquestioned. Uh, I kind of hope Jalen Rager and Quez Watkins have a good day. But it looks like overall you know the defense is going to show up. But, yeah, it's very weird. It's almost like you're rooting for them to tank in in the sense that you could see them play in a preseason
1: game. It sounds like we are all pretty much in agreement. And you never know. Things could change. But it looks like the starting wide receivers, if you're looking at a three-wide receiver set, which, oh, by the way, I think the Eagles are going to play a lot at 12, because I think Zach Ertz is staying, despite the fact that we all thought all offseason, well, it's going to be a three wide with just Dallas Goddard is the main tight end. Not so fast, my friends. Uh, but when they're in three wide receiver sets, um, it looks like it's going to be Devontae Svetlana, and Quez Watkins as their three starters. So out of the group of the other wide receivers, and I'll, I'll cut it down to four for you. We won't put uh, Patton into the mix here. Ward, uh, fogum J.J. Arcega, Whiteside, Hightower. If one of them is going to kind of separate in either today's practice and or today's practice and the exhibition game on Friday, which of those wide receivers do you think has a chance to actually make a movement on the chart and uh, fight a little bit for playing time when the season starts.
2: I'll tell you what. I think Greg Ward is already on this roster, and I think no matter what he does, he's going to be on this let, me,
1: let me Let me just interrupt you here because I know John knows this because uh, we did shows for all those many months before the Eagles actually started practicing. You probably picked on up, up on it as well. I am the biggest Greg Ward fan in town this side of uh, Mel Reese, who, like me, just thinks the world of Greg Ward. I'll be honest he has not done much in preseason this year in either practice and or the games, the numbers just aren't there. Right. I'm with you. I think he's, he's going to make the team, but he's kind of disappointed me. I don't know if he just doesn't have the mojo with hurts, or it hasn't uh, been good, or they're asking him to do something that isn't his strength. He was the number one leading catch guy on his team last year. And he hasn't been close to that this preseason. So even though I'm still a huge fan and you're right, he's going to make the team. Is he going to make the team, but then not play? Is he not going to be out there? Cause what he's accomplished this spring has not opened anyone's eyes, including a big fan of his.
2: Yeah. I, you know, Jody, he's one of those guys. I think I know what he brings to the table. I'm not really worried about him not performing in the preseason. It, it's not like Travis Fulgham, John Hightower, JJ Artega Whiteside have been lighting the room on fire and actually making his roster spot in jeopardy. This, again, this is why I think they need a veteran. It's besides Greg Ward on this team. I, I just think they need death there. And outside of Greg Ward, I, I just don't think they have it right now. You know, Hightower's been injured and he's been inconsistent. I still like him. I know what they have at J.J. Ortega-Whiteside. Nothing. And you know, Travis Fulgham has been, outside of yesterday, has been disappointing. So uh, this, is, this is where I was going to go with my initial point. I kind of hope Travis Fulgham continues off what he did yesterday and just kind of gives the Eagles a reason to think like he can actually do something for them this year.
1: Hopefully that's the way it plays out. I'm not sure it's going to be, but uh, we shall see. All right, uh, other than the two wide receivers, if the quarterback looks okay in practice, we're probably not going to see him on a Friday. Who's going to be the Eagles star on Friday when they actually do put on their full uniforms? Which, by the way, yesterday practice, way too much green. When you got two green teams playing like the Jets and the, the Eagles, it's just too much green out there on the practice field. it will be the same in the game on Friday. Who do you think it will be on Friday that can actually do something that will grab your attention?
2: I think Alex Singleton's gonna play a little bit on Friday and I think he's gonna be the guy that we're just gonna wow about again. And it might be like last week. This game sucks. They're getting killed, but Alex Singleton looks pretty good. Um, I actually think I wanna see Zach McPherson kind of bounce back. And I think he can against the Jets wide receivers. I, I feel like, you know, Zach Wilson's a guy I don't want to say he's familiar with, but they're, you know, again, same rookie class. I I, I kinda wanna see a little bit of improvement out of him, but I, I think we're going to be raving about Alex Singleton again, unless he's he's reached that point where he's good enough that the Eagles just don't play him.
1: that I read this this week, and I'm apologizing, because shame on me, I should have re- remember what I read. Um, I think the Eagles' record for most tackles in a season is 100. I want to say 128. Might be Dahani Jones. It's not Jeremiah Trotter. Jeremiah Trotter, when you look at the top 10, is on there about – five times uh, for most tackles in a season, but he's not number one. And I forget who it was. Maybe it was Jones. I don't remember. I think it is the Hani Jones. He, he's up there. I know that. I, I, I think he's got the number one season at like 100, 128 tackles. Singleton could break that this year because oh. we have an extra game, of course. 17 games is going to give you just that many more chances for tackles. But his usage in the uh, lineup, I think he's going to be in every down linebacker. Uh, you think he's got a chance to get
2: 130 tackles this year? Oh, I think so. I mean, he led the league in tackles after week, uh, the week he starts. So, week seven, week six, week seven, he was tied for a league league in tackles last year. So, it's very possible. I mean, the guy just finds the football. It's, you know, and the Eagles need a guy like that. They, they haven't had a guy like that really since. Jordan Hicks and Michael Kendricks were around. And uh, again, I, you know, I, I know Eagles fans knew this. Michael Kendricks was a pretty good linebacker for them, no matter how much he fell out of favor with the coaching staff.
1: I agree. And uh, I'm agreeing with you. On um, Could be a big year for Mr. Singleton. Uh, J.K., good job this week, brother. We get Jay Mack back the next couple of days. I'll uh, certainly be looking forward to working with you next week. Thanks, brother. Yep. Always a pleasure, Jody. You know that. Jeff Kerber hanging with me, filling in for Johnny Mack. Yes, it'll be Mac and Mac tomorrow because McMullen will be back. I'll be here as well. We'll be getting that much closer to the final preseason game of the year, Eagles and Jets, right here on Birds 365.
7: If you missed any of today's show on the Jacob Media channel, listen to the podcast on your way home. Available on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify.